Hey, you're listening to CS Book Club. We're reading Introduction to Graph Theory by Richard Trudeau. And today we're reading Chapter 3. I'm Brian. Hey, I'm Justin. I'm Amy. And I'm Quinn. So planar graphs. Why don't we start with the definition? A graph is planar if it is isomorphic to a graph that has been drawn in a plane without edge crossings. Otherwise, a graph is nonplanar, which is fancy speak for if you write it on a piece of paper and none of the lines cross, it is planar. If you can write it. If you can. Yeah, like my first highlight in this chapter is, like isomorphism, planarity is a potential. Yeah, I think planar graphs are are really fun to uh, try to identify because uh, you end up doing some some interesting manipulations in your head, right? Whenever there's a definition that says it's a possibility, you know you're going to have to like draw some diagrams to figure it out or... Or just manipulate the diagram in your head. Did any of you ever have to like do this sort of thing in like I don't know? I feel like I feel like in an early math class we had to do something similar, but it wasn't phrased as a planar graph. It was like, could you rearrange the dots so that none of the lines cross? And that I don't familiar. know. It seems a little sadistic now in retrospect. I, I I think it's kind of fun, a little mental image. The frustrating part is is. It's hard to know when you've reached the point where it's not actually planar and you just figuring out that it's not that you just can't figure it out. It's that it's not actually possible. Right. But I think we have some theorems, some uh, proofs and stuff to talk about that. Right. Oh, do I we? Yeah. I thought we? I thought we did. I thought we had, <laughs> I thought it boils down to eventually he, he admits that uh, just winging it is not going to do it. And we have to come down with like uh, algorithms to determine this or something. It has to do with the like, number yeah. of edges and vertexes, vertices, if I recall. Yeah, well, when we start this journey to a, a proof uh, in a very strange place, actually talking about a rubber band, right? And this is the first time in this book we've seen squiggly lines, I think. I was shocked. Yeah, I thought the rubber band was actually a really good way of explaining That's how you know it's getting, like, super hard and interesting. It's like, if you have to resort to a squiggly line. So, yeah, we start off hmm. with this Jordan curve theorem, uh, and I won't... Uh, I won't read the whole thing out because I think we'd lose half our audience. You'd all go to sleep. Um, but I have to admit, this is one of the first ones where so it is I read the theorem quiet. and I was just like, that's it. I do not need to continue reading this book. But I uh, I so I appreciated his, his statement after uh, saying, please don't panic, uh, which I definitely appreciated. Yeah, the intuition around the rubber band is really like tractable. I like that a lot. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I think it's kind of a, something that we can all understand, right? That if you have a rubber band sitting on a table, you have therefore divided the space, the plane of the table into two separate areas, right? There's the inside the rubber band part of the table and the outside the rubber band part of the table. And that anything that crosses that line is in two different parts. This is also the part where we, we first kind of introduced uh, the concept of corollaries, which we seem to have plenty of throughout the rest of the chapter. Were you all familiar with the definition of a corollary before reading this book? I, I was not. Well, it seemed something that was like, uh, if I had to describe it without looking up the definition, uh, something that is also true because this is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a related truth. As such. But no, I'd never come across the usage of it until now. Mm -hmm. Awesome. 
So yeah, the Jordan Curve Theorem. Uh, I appreciated his comment uh, that it was that it's a very simple thing and very obvious, but it still requires proof. Um, I don't know. That that's like my favorite part about math. And I agree yeah. with his observation that it often happens that the most obvious things have the most difficult proofs. I don't know. There's something about it being so obvious that makes it it's like a mental block to actually proving anything. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, especially given that we're recording this uh, closer to Halloween, you know, the implications of this are kind of like, you know, if you encounter a wall, how do you get through it, right? And most of us, hopefully, would say walk around it. But if it's a circular wall, right, you're going to have to either knock it over or build a bridge over it or something, tunnel underneath it. Uh, you can't do it staying in one plane. But, you know, the human imagination, uh, is a wonderful thing. And you have a number of, um, a number of scary movies, right? Where the person just walks through a wall. And that's a, that's a possibility, right? And so the difficulty of proving this algorithm is kind of similar to that, right? How do you prove that there is no one in the world who can walk through walls? I guess one by one. <laughs> yeah. No, no, Brian. It's like me making prove to me you can't speak Russian. Like, <laughs> yeah, I could just choose not to. Exactly. And as long as I have no one, no like eyewitnesses to say that, oh, I've seen him speak Russian. All right. So let's say we take the author's word at it, and it is proven that in the mm -hmm. same way that one cannot walk through walls. The Jordan's curve theorem uh, is correct. Where does that get us? Well, we can prove that the utility graph is nonplanar, which uses the pigeonhole principle. Quite a nice principle, I think. I don't remember that part. Are you Sorry. familiar with the pigeonhole principle? No. Is that covered here? It is a little bit, yeah. Um, the idea being that like, if you have, say, uh, five pigeonholes, or five cubbies, and you have like six things that you want to put in the cubbies. Uh, if you fill them in one by one, you're going to have one cubby that has more than one thing in it. Like you have to, you can't, you can't uh, relieve yourself of everything into the cubby holes without having duplicate placement somewhere. If you choose to try and disperse them, I didn't really explain that all that well. No, it was pretty clear. Um, but so you can, you can. Use the pigeonhole principle to prove that, like, once you've once you've drawn uh, two of the three like interior edges of the utility graph, you have to like the third one must intersect at least one of those because there's no like there aren't enough proverbial pigeonholes within the interior of the of the outer edge to place a non-intersecting third line. It's like a uh, the line gets squeezed out. But that applies to planar graphs. Or you're saying that, that the Jordan curve theorem says the utility graph is non-planar. Right. And, and the, well, yeah, kind of, yes, I think so. And, and like the, the mechanism in the book to show that is the pigeonhole principle. Huh. Yeah. I think there's a good diagram on, uh, the top of page 70, uh, figure 62, uh, that really kind of shows, shows what the author's trying to show here, that no matter how you draw it, 
something isn't going to be able to be drawn. Uh, and we're running, you run out of options very quickly for getting the lines to not cross. Uh, yeah, I remember that now. And I think a very similar approach is used to show that K5 is, uh, or the, the uh, universal graph, no, whatever. K is the uh, complete graph of five points. Yep. Um, that that is non-planar. And that while the complete graph for uh, less than five points, you know, complete graph for um, four points is planar, a complete graph for five is not. Of course, now having said that, I feel compelled to draw the complete graph of four points <laughs> in a planar fashion. The triangle with a vertice in the center. Totally don't have Wikipedia open. Yeah. Cool. All right. <laughs> that mystery solved. Uh, so then we get into, uh, if we, if we move on from that, uh, we move into, uh, talking about subgraphs and supergraphs of planar and non-planar graphs, which is kind of an interesting thing because, um, while it can be very complex to prove that something is planar or non-planar, um, the ability to recognize subgraphs and supergraphs is a little bit easier. So I think uh, it seems like we're making that transition from the theoretical to, well, here's how you identify them, given that you probably do not have uh, either, you know, eons and eons of time to draw every possible permutation, uh, or the, at least I personally do not have the math skills to prove each and every one of these. Yeah, I definitely got uh, lost on some of these these proofs going through the cases. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like theorem five, starting there, you know, that seems pretty logical to me. Any subgraph of a planar graph is planar, right? If you can, you know, draw a set of of lines that do not intersect, and then you select any number, any subset of that, well, of course they're not going to intersect. Yeah. And same goes the other way around with supergraphs of a non-planar graph. Yeah. Since you're, you're strictly adding to it, you can't then add yourself out of not being planar. Yeah. I thought that was a nice, nice little bit of uh, intuition there. Well, it's another example of like something that's like, uh, at first it was kind of like, okay, I have to wrap my head around this. But the second, it was like, well, this is incredibly obvious. Like that just makes sense. But it kind of to what you were saying, Brian, like it's maybe simple and obvious, but it still needs to like be proved. It's like and hard then, to articulate why it makes so much sense. I guess, yeah. I mean, or like why why it is precisely correct. I guess is really what the what the proof is doing. Actually, I had a similar conversation with my daughter the other day. Uh, she had like three dollars. It was at this. She was selling cookies at a garage sale thing, and I and I gave another daughter, and she's like, now now I don't have three dollars anymore. I have four. And I was like, well, you still have $3. She's like, no, I have four. <laughs> and I was like, yes, but you have three. You can't have four without having three. Right, so now, I was like, hey, you got, you got three bucks on you? You wouldn't say, like, no, I have four. Yeah, well, it, it, and it would have been even harder. I think there was, yeah, like, if they had gone from, like, $4 to a $5 bill, it would have been even harder. But she's still trying, like, she's really good at math, but, like, money kind of throws her, which is interesting to me it's probably 
yeah, it's like 100 pennies, makes $1. Like, that gets kind of weird. And then nickels and dimes. Like, mm-hmm. I remember when they were really young, they got into this thing of thinking that, like, four quarters was more than $2 because two <laughs> is greater than or four thirty-two, you know. Anyway, that, that's a weird. You could really swindled your child. <laughs> not gonna say that I did that. I'm not gonna say that I didn't. Do that. And so, yes, theorems, proofs, definitions. Yes, um, it made it a lot easier for me to like. I felt like we went through tiresome examples mm-hmm. um, and associated them with like you know the the. K5, which is there another term for K5? I call it K5. Should I not be calling it that? K5. I call it. Okay, so it's that's a complete, complete graph. right? Okay, yeah. Like K complete. C makes sense to me. Complete graph on five Complete. Complete of the K. Points? I don't know. Yeah. I feel um, like there's a there's an ascent of Mount Everest that is like K5 or something. Uh, you know, actually, that sounds really familiar. K2. K2, yes. Thank you. Okay, to a snowboard. That's a yeah. It's a brand that's named after that that face or whatever. Well, oh. see now, see now we know why K two is so hard to climb. <laughs> it's not actually a mountain. It is two points in a line. That would be very difficult to climb. It is the second highest mountain in the world after Everest. In any case, I interrupted someone who's going to make an excellent point. Well, did you know that Everest isn't the largest mountain in the world? It's just the highest? Yeah. Yeah. I bet Brian didn't know that. I bet Brian did know that. I did know that. Okay, mm-hmm. Isn't, is Kilimanjaro no, the, the largest? No, I'm sorry. But now, now I want to debate, like, what? how do you determine where the edge of a mountain is? It's just all the ground, right? Um, <laughs> I forget. I studied this in college in geology. There's, like, a technical definition. I think it involves... the type of crust that it sits on or I forget. But there's a technical definition of it that's wonderful. <laughs> so speaking of mountains, K three, um <laughs> I so after this section, uh he goes on to ask, uh are there any more non planar graphs than supergraphs of K five or the utility graph? Uh are they like the kernel of non planar graphs? Yeah. And I was and I thought about it for a while and I was like, of course there aren't <laughs> And then, and then he showed a picture of, oh yeah, that's there are. And then it was kind of tricky. It was just, hey, let's take one of these graphs and put a new uh, node in the middle of an edge. Like put, put a new, a new vertice, vertex, vertex in, in between two mm. on an existing edge. And so then they introduced a new concept of expansions. That seemed kind of like cheating to me, but also yeah. like you can't not allow that. Yeah. So. So we learn this new term that is expansions, which is not the supergraph. Um, I don't know if we actually ever got to ever talk about that later, if they could be the same thing. But um, in my mind, it was kind of like the same thing as supergraph. Like, oh, like the the layout of the the edges is still the same. Um, but yeah, so I think that kind of gets to an interesting point, though, Justin, because. There is a situation in which an expansion is also a supergraph. Yeah. That's it's when you're talking about the same object. So any graph uh, yeah. is both its own expansion and a supergraph. Yeah. Other than that, though, I think they are very different. And then with that, then the next theorem was every expansion of utility graph or the complete complete five is also non-planar, which 
makes sense as it has the same exact, uh, you know, edge crossing properties as those graphs. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of intuitive sense, you know, but say you're, you know, in LA, you have a 10 layer overpass interchange, whatever, <laughs> right? Um, it doesn't help anyone if you decide at the very top, you know, for some reason you're going to build a restaurant and that's going to be, you know, a stopping point for people. It doesn't help you. You're still building, you still can't have cars running into each other on the same plane, right? You got to build up or you got to build a tunnel, even if there is a node at some point. So I think we come to corollary six, where every supergraph of an expansion of UG or K5 is non-planar. So we're starting to throw expansions on supergraphs. Like layering theorems on top of each other. Yeah, and we come to this Venn diagram inside of a box on page 81 when we're talking about Kuratowski's theorem. Yeah. So this was flipping it around from with every expansion or supergraph or or supergraph of an expansion of those graphs is non-planar, then um, the theorem is that every non-planar graph is a supergraph of an expansion of those graphs. Yeah, this takes a while to talk about. Yeah, the layering throws you. I like how he says, I could prove this, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I didn't like how he said that. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I understood, given the explanation, that it would take 30-some pages or something. I was like, yeah, thanks. I, I'll do that. So you're welcome from uh, Justin Trudeau about... Oh, not Justin. <laughs> oh, well. Is that the first time that one of us has made that mistake? Because I'm it seems sure. like it would have happened pretty early. <laughs> Richard Trudeau. <laughs> I can't uncle. remember his name. I was going to say Jason, and then I was like, no, it's Justin. Of course it's Justin. It's Justin Bill Trudeau. Trudeau. Bill Trudeau. Justin Trudeau, as you know, is the prime minister, I think, of Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, isn't he a popular guy out here? He's yeah. pretty popular. So an expansion is, in short, you do away with an existing edge, but you replace it with a new vertex into edges to replace that one. Yes. Yeah. You, take it, you take an edge and you draw a vertex in the middle of it. Yes. Which essentially destroys that edge, but it keeps, keeps the, the thing intact. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. A more tangible example of that would be, let's say, you know, you have a road from one city to another, and then you build a city in the middle of it, right? You're adding another vertex to it, uh, but in theory that the ability to connect one node to another still exists now what clint would like to do is like demolish the road build the city and then build two roads that's what i'm hearing from you clint well <laughs> you know you don't have to tear them down but they can't have can they not have the same name then because they need to be new things yeah i've, I've placed a vertex in them. They're, they're, it's no longer a b it's now a c and c b they're, they're different that's a good point but that's not a super, what would a super graph? What would a super thing be there? A super graph. Two, two cities connecting to each other, and then I build a new highway to a new city, but then it stops there. Or I guess it could go to the other city. But then why yeah. would you build go that nice, route? Yeah. Why would you? I guess you could go that route. Well, if you, wanted, if you wanted to go visit those people. I'm sure they're nice people. Yeah, I know, right? What do you have against these people in city C, Clint? 
I I am I'm I'm city C in the first example. There's Kansas City and there's St. Louis, and they're not connected. But Kansas mm. City is connected to Columbia, and Columbia is connected to St. Louis. So there you go. See, we right. we are yeah. the vertex. Yeah, and then so like a super graph is like the westward expansion of the United States out to where you live, right? So Clint, you you live in a super graph of the original thirteen United States. I do. I think we all do. Oh man, Brian, you got new status here. Wait, what well, where's Justin live? I'm uh, outside of Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm not sure if we should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then we get into super graphs of expansions, right? And at that point, I feel like, you know, the road analogy kind of, you could come up with one, but you're still talking about a concept that is just like lots and lots of growth on top of these two core concepts of the utility graph and the complete graph of five points. I have a diagram towards the end of the chapter that are just like somebody scribbled on paper. <laughs> Figure 77 through 79. 82 is pretty good. Well, before we got that far, <laughs> I, I would like to <clears throat> go back because I'm a simple person. I really enjoyed their simple explanation of to make an expansion, you use both a pencil and an eraser. Let's make a super graph. <laughs> you, you laugh at me, but this helps, man. Well, to make a super graph, you only use a pencil. To make a subgraph, you only use an eraser. So if you can, what? Let's see. To make an expansion, you use both a pencil and an eraser. So yeah, you, have to you draw take the dot. A to B, you erase that, or you make a little. You, you yeah, you erase a little spot in the middle, and then you add a dot. Or to make or super multiple graph, dots. Oh, or multiple and multiple. As long as you replace it with a vertex of at least what degree two or something. Degree is that right? At least two edges. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to make a subgraph, you can only use an eraser, but mm-hmm. you can't you can't erase a verte- vertice without erasing the edges that's connected. So you can't like go the other way around. Like if you have A to B and B to C, you can't just like erase the middle point B and then connect A to C. You're left with A and C, like no edge between them. That's actually really interesting. So there is. Does this chapter not introduce any concept that is the opposite of an expansion? I was just going to say that, and I was thinking about it in that um, if it did, you could only have the opposite of an expansion if the if the vertex had two edges, right? Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, you'd have to make some pretty big changes to the graph to accomplish that. But yeah, I was I was thinking the same thing as you as you were talking. I think that's right. You can't just reconnect those two points, right? When you're making a subgraph. Seems like you can't. No, no. Where's the definition of a subgraph? So many definitions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like the idea of the anti-expansion is kind of fundamental to how I think about, you know, getting to the point of showing that something is planar. But given that most of this chapter is about showing that something is non-planar. We don't really have a use for that concept, but um, I am curious to see if we can find that definition of a subgraph. Well, I found the instructions on how to make one. Yeah. Which is actually right above what I was looking at. So you don't have to do anything because every graph is a subgraph of itself. Uh, however, to do so, you would use an eraser 
to erase however many vertices and edges as you want, subject to the restriction that when you erase a vertex, you must also erase all edges incident to it. So that would support what yeah. I was saying earlier. Like if it you does. just had that line, yeah, you couldn't just draw a new edge. You don't add that edge. Okay. So how did you pronounce this? Kuratowski is how I... Mm -hmm. Kuratowski's theorem. So Kuratowski's theorem, every non-planar graph is a supergraph of an expansion of the utility graph or the complete graph. Right, and that, and that includes the supergraphs and expansions where you don't make any changes at all, where yes. every graph is a supergraph or an expansion of itself. Supergraph of an expansion. So I think that kind of implies, you know, the steps, and I think we can see that in figure 76, right? First, to make any non-planar graph, you first choose whether you're going to start with the utility graph or K5. You next get to put as many dots on the existing lines as you wish. You can make as uh, complex an expansion as you want, that is to say. And then finally, the third step is to start drawing lines and dots like crazy outside of the existing graph. I think it's kind of interesting that that is, that those three steps are sufficient to create every non-planar graph. So what's left? Right. I'm reviewing the definition of both of those things again. Well, you know, I, well, on the first pass, it's like, it says absolutely nothing. Because as, as I think Justin pointed out, you know, to make a super graph, you can do nothing. And to make an expansion, you can do nothing. So doing nothing is totally cool. And you, yeah, if you do nothing to a non-planar graph, you will get a non-planar graph. That's, that's what we got right there. But Kuratowski's theorem is saying that every graph, like, give me any graph randomly that's not planar, that it has to be a supergraph or an expansion of, or I guess it's both a supergraph and an expansion of the utility graph or the complete five vertex graph. Well, no, it, I, it's not both. It's a, what is it? Well, it's both because they're... Uh, well, no, it doesn't say oh, it's, it's both it's a not, super not graph, super super and graph an of an expansion, right? Yes. See, there's there's a technical difference. Of an expansion. So right. an expansion. So take the utility graph, lovely utility graph. We know it. We love it. And making an expansion, we just draw a dot on one of the vertices, on one of the edges. To make a super graph of that, how do we make a super graph of that? Add anything. To make a super graph, add as many vertices as you like, providing you don't splice them into an existing edge. So you could take and the uh, complete graph that you know and love and just kind of like squish it. You could connect it if you wanted to for your super graph. Hmm. You sound unconvinced, Clint. Well, no, I just, I've, I'm at one of those points where it's like, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that I don't understand fully. And I'm smart enough to know that although it seems incredibly like, you know, like it speaks circles, doesn't make any sense in this kind of, obvious nonsense i'm smart enough to know that i'm not smart enough to fully understand does that make sense yes like on the surface it's like you've said nothing I, you've really said nothing or you've said every non-planar graph is non-planar like thanks that's great 
But, you know, I'm smart enough to understand that I'm just, like, I'm something's not quite clicking because it just seems, like, incredibly obvious. Like, it hasn't actually contributed. But if this person has a theorem attributed to them, then clearly it does. Clearly there's something else. But, I mean, so on the surface, it's just like, look, if you take the base non-planar graph, the utility graph, and you add to it or you expand to it, you're going to get a non-planar graph. I'm like, we, we already covered that, didn't we? Yeah, that was, I think, the first theorem? I guess I guess the, the important part is that it is a super graph of an expansion. Yeah, I think that's what we're adding here. Although it doesn't yeah. necessarily even add anything, right? If we're choosing to make an expansion or a super graph by doing nothing. Yeah. Okay. We can move on. What would you like to move on to? Some utility, uh, like utility as in company illustrations? Yeah. Oh, man. You know, the next few pages really reminded me of, um, you know, the adult coloring books where they're like, soothe your soul by coloring shapes. Uh, that was I, pretty I much I do know my... those books. They're excellent. But I, I thought I could uh, make some quite nice and uh, pretty, pretty drawings by coloring these in. To be honest, by the time I got to this section, I was uh, kind of like, okay, I got it. I understand it. Yeah, me, me too. Same. Yeah, Didn't read super that, closely. And that the rest of it was just kind of bashing it into your brain over and over. <laughs> yeah. I mean... They are thorough. Yeah. Maybe, it, maybe it's helpful, you know, but I think part of the the thing with this is that, for me, I'm, I'm more reading this for... It's interesting and good to know, but I don't have any applications of it. Uh, so the final ch- part of this chapter was just not particularly rewarding it wasn't bad but it just i looked at the pretty pictures more than reading the content any final thoughts on the chapter no Alrighty. it, it just it, yeah the, the examples got really deep and abstract and uh, maybe i just wasn't understanding but it seemed a bit repetitive no i think it's fair that it was repetitive especially by the end yeah oh god i forgot about figure 80 what is that even if that's not oh man no that was that was gonna be my masterpiece clint that was the one i thought was gonna be such a gorgeous little adult coloring book thing uh, I, I mean yeah i'd color that i would <laughs> yeah. not i would not try to decide if it was plainer we should all get like tattoos of that <laughs> yeah i feel like that is taken from some medieval uh stained glass rosary somewhere but yeah in any case i think i think i was Happy to have learned something from this chapter, but uh, ready to move on by the end of it. I agree. Right on. Well, next up is Euler's Formula. This has been uh, Chapter 3 of CS Book Club. Thanks for listening.